Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week, so please subscribe. You won't miss any of our upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick, from Polstring Press for this great studio. Hey, Patrick. Good morning, Mark. Patrick, I'd like you to meet Helen Russell. Helen, good morning. Good morning. How good morning. are you? I'm doing good, thank you. And I'm very glad it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, people are going to spot your accent. They and, are. And, and where's the accent from? So my accent is from, I'm from a town in the south of Yorkshire, so northern England. Um, I haven't lived there since I was 18 years old when I went off to university, but I seem to be hanging on to it for dear life. Although when I go home, everybody at home tells me I have a very weird accent. So it's oh. a, little, a little eclectic at this point. I've, I have a question. This is completely off topic. How is it that English actors can come here and do perfect American across a series of like 14 shows. And then you hear them on Access Hollywood and you go, what? Yeah, I never I, knew they were English. Right. I, I think it's, we have so many dialects. I mean, I went to school five miles away from where I lived because I went to the local Catholic school, which we had to get on a bus to go to. And even between where I lived and my school, was a completely different dialect. Mm. And so I think that we're very proud of where we come from and the dialects are so strong. So you develop a real ear for accents. Mm. And so I think that um, when the actors are up and coming and they're at drama school, there's a lot of emphasis played on how do they do various accents. And of course, the American one is they know that if they're successful, ultimately one day they'll be, they'll be having to, to copy an American accent. I love that. Thank you for that, because that's always <laughs> just, I just... I feel like that's not the first time she's explained that to an American. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we do have that that uh, that stigma that everything's centered around us, right? And Wait, and it's, it's not? Yeah, see, exactly. And Surely not. Yet, Surely yet when not. you go to Europe, it's, it's not uncommon for people to speak four, five, seven languages. It's just kind mm -hmm. of how it is. It's mm -hmm. just different. Well, you are, um, I, I love your title. Uh, you're the chief people officer at Atlassian. And I know that's a new new thing for you. You were, um, you were head of HR at Sonos, which is a, a local success story. And yep. uh, you know we're very proud here in the community of Sonos. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very, and, and our friend Dane Howard introduced us. Thanks, mm -hmm. Dane. I know he listens to the show. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really interested in not the HR part of HR, but the people part of it, and specifically the talent part of it, and even more specifically, the um, the high potential aspect of talent management. Mm -hmm. That it's just one of the micro slices that I love about that. I love being around. This podcast is around interesting people and mm -hmm. within an organization, how you sort those out. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear your philosophy around talent and nurturing talent and managing talent and not the, the other stuff of HR, which is benefits administration and hiring and all yeah. that jazz. And interestingly, I think the reason why you're seeing more and more 
um, job titles like chief people officer, chief talent officer, is that a lot of HR professionals are trying to get away from the genesis of the function, which was all, you know, sort of shrouded in benefits and administration and the sort of back office personnel function. Right. And it's taken decades to mm. try and shake that off. Um, and I think, you know, chief people officer is an example of just a new way of, of looking at things. I have a colleague at Airbnb and he's called head of employee experience. So again, <laughs> you know, a different sure. take on what is it that you're trying to do. Um, and so... I think that, and again, I've sort of worked in very eclectic environments, and some environments are, f are far more focused on high potential, some environments are far more focused on leadership, others on succession. Um, and I think the, the difference being, depending on the level of maturity of the company, mm, and mm. Um, dep depending also on the level of growth. So the challenge when you're in environments like Sonos or environments like Atlassian where I am now is that when you have a company that's growing so quickly and you hire really talented people to come in, the, they have to be really, really high potential in order to outpace the pace at which the company is growing. Oh. And so even when you hire super smart people and you have high expectations for them, when your company is growing at 30, 40, 50%, they need to be unbelievably agile if they're going to stay ahead of the requirements that the company has as their roles and responsibilities grow. And so what's interesting is having come from the role that I had before I moved here with Sonos was within the WPP stable of companies, which is all in the marketing and marketing consulting and services space. It was a company called Kantar. Kantar had 30,000 employees. And within that 30,000 employee population, there was a lot of very tenured people. The market research industry is, has been around for a very long time. Sure. And the growth was relatively modest. We were probably growing at, you know, three, four, five percent a year. Um, in that environment, the opportunity to really look at your high potential talent and look at succession and pull people through was really rewarding and satisfying because that's how you, that's how people grew. You had to move them up through the organization because the organization wasn't growing at a pace where somebody's role became new and interesting every six months. Mm. Right, right. Whereas in the current context, your role becomes something a little bit different every six months because it's just bigger. Um, and so it's quite a different role. And I had underestimated how different my role would be in terms of content going from large company to smaller high growth company, just completely different. I want to stay with that a little bit because I work, my, my largest client is J. Walter Thompson Company, right. uh, okay. which is also WPP. Yes. Yeah. And I work very closely with the chief talent officer and the software we've developed is, is about um, connecting those 12,000 employees worldwide and very specifically the population within the organization that I felt I had to be most aligned with for the software to be successful was the high potentials. Okay. And there's 50 of them that get identified and so they actually just last week the 50 for this year the class of 2017 have been identified and I work very closely with the person who runs that, and I just love being around those kind of people. Mm -hmm. But you brought something, I mean, what, what you're saying is, is fascinating, is in a very stable, I mean, it's a 152-year-old company, right? Very stable, slow growth, if you will, 
you can identify them and they can work at the pace. And yet our listener knows that we focus on smaller, fast growth. And even Sonos is big, Atlassian is big. These are, but they're still the new kind right. of big, right? Yeah. That the high potential has to, it's almost the 1% of the 1%ers. It, it is. It right? Is. It, it really is. And wow. You, and you've got to be able to, I mean, you're looking for people with unbelievable learning agility who have got the ability not only to nail their own job, but to know that their own job is also expanding. And if you want to move them up the hierarchy, then they need to be you know, exponentially bright in order to, to really move their career. Two questions on that. One, uh, speaking, as a, as speaking for the, or the employer side, how do you identify that? Inside, right. how do you identify that agility? And two, how do you how do you cultivate that in yourself as an employee? Like uh, how do you, how do you become more agile, and become that or emulate that as a as a as a to like how do you let the you know that that mm-hmm. we the, that we as employees have figured that out? Yeah, and I would say learning agility is a pretty difficult thing to spot, and there'll be people with uh, psych you know psych backgrounds that are far better at this than I am, but I would say that. There's a couple of things. There's definitely, and there's a lot of um, energy around this notion of grit at the moment, which is not just about someone's intellectual capacity, but actually how they apply that, how they agitate, how they're hungry, how they're ambitious, and how they just drive in order to build their career and get ahead. And so you're looking for a combination of someone who has the intellect, and, and again, Google have had interesting experiences with this where there was a lot of academic snobbery in the early days in hiring people only from the best schools. Mm. And then because they're really, really strong in data and analytics, they were finding that the people that were moving through the organization more quickly weren't necessarily people from the top schools, but there were people that had other things alongside intellect that were enabling them to build their career. And so I think that grit piece is a real part of it. Um, And again, there's a lot of work going on in the education system right now to figure out what are the ways that you can test students, both in university and in high school, that you're really assessing their ability to have that extra engagement, extra effort, extra application, as well as the just the the smarts that you were born with, if you will. Mm. And so I think at the individual level, to answer your question, I have someone um, on my team right now who's relatively young, but she just has this approach to life that if there's a way to do something, I'm going to hunt down and research the best possible way to do that thing. And it's just who she is. Hmm. And that's everything from... Um, you know, we're going to go on a holiday. So I want to research where I should go when I'm going to Japan, which is a conversation her and I were having last week. And it's not just I'm going to Japan and I'm going to read a a book of the top 10 things to do in Japan, which is what I would do, the sort of (laughs) easiest way because I don't have time. She will do the research to say, when I go to Japan, I'm going to have the best possible experience that anybody could ever have going to that country on holiday. And she takes that's that her same, intention. That's her intention. And it's very deliberate. And she takes that same mindset and applies it to everything that she does. And it's actually a little intimidating for others that are <laughs> around her. Because yeah. when you have a colleague on your team that's like that, you have to come to work every day and be completely on your 
best behavior mm. and on your A game, to use a, a very American saying. Um, because if not, she's going to be, she's sprinting out like a pedigree racehorse well ahead of you. Which is what you said earlier, which is that that now the high potential, or if you're on a, a leadership track or high potential, so these things is succession planning. For someone <laughs> who doesn't know what that means, it's like, okay, well, this leader is going to go. Who's, you know, two, <coughs> two years from now, who Who's is that person succeed? that they're going to succeed? And right. that now they actually have to outpace the pace at which the organization is growing, which is already insane. Yes. This yes. is the inverse rotten apple thing. This is having some, this is the Ooh. inverse rotten apple, having somebody on your team who, who so outstrips, you know, kind of any of the drawbacks that it just, it pulls the team along and leaves the bad apple behind. It does. It yeah. does. And also I think, I mean, my passion is culture. So just segueing for a second, that the, the other thing that's quite interesting, and especially in the context of Atlassian, because Atlassian. Do you mean culture in the business environment, or do yes. you mean okay? Yeah, I mean culture in how do we show up and how do we behave every right. day? Yeah. What's expected of us in this environment? Sure. And what's really fascinating, and this is what was so interesting for me about coming and joining Atlassian. So, Atlassian's products are collaboration tools. So, how do I, as an engineer, use the Atlassian product suite, Confluence, Jira, HipChat? to be able to collaborate with my colleagues so that we can collectively work on a project in order to you know, move quicker, have greater impact. So therefore, at a mission level, the mission of Atlassian is to unleash the potential in every team. Mm. Now, obviously we're doing that through products and enabling that through our products, but the interesting thing for me coming into a company that has that mission is how applicable that is to the HR space. Because suddenly I can take what is a company mission that normally I think is an HR function. You struggle to make the connection between what the company is doing externally to what you then need to do internally. Right. But for me, it's a really interesting. It's a natural it's fit. It's just completely natural. Right. Because that clicks down to us that says, right, if we're going to unleash the potential in every other team, then our mission as a company should be to make or to create the ultimate team. So if Atlassian is the ultimate team in of itself then we feel equipped to be going out and enabling others. And so we've taken that notion around team. And so what's interesting and going back to the high potential is if you're in an environment where the whole focus is around team performance as opposed to individual performance, it really has you thinking in a slightly different way because you have that racehorse on your team yeah. and suddenly the team want to aspire to be as good as, as she is. Mm -hmm. You also want to create an environment where rather than the accountability being all of the time on the manager in order to give feedback, in order to coach, in order to bring people along, it creates an, an environment where you empower team to mm. do that with each other. So if we're going to kick ass together, what are the things that I actually now feel accountable to telling my colleagues that I'm seeing maybe not doing as good as they could or not pulling up their weight in the way that they can, I actually feel empowered to call them on it in a very respectful way, but not putting all of the onus on the manager to do that. And so that's one of the things that I really want to try and drive within the Atlassian culture to take this notion of team and thread it through everything that we do. So one example would be performance management. So performance management is the bane of every company. Every sure. company hates performance ratings, hates anything to do with performance management. It feels very penal. Mm -hmm. And that's because most companies have struggled to divorce 
how you determine reward, so how should someone's bonus be paid out, how should someone's pay rise be decided, and how you do a performance review. So usually what happens is you have a performance conversation, you give someone a rating, and that rating then determines what someone's bonus is or what their pay rise is. And what that means is most companies, because from an affordability standpoint, need to have really great people, great people, average people, not so great people in order to, you know, to have the And that's a fiscal bell- decision. It is. It's a bell curve in yeah. order to be able to apply yeah. it. So, and then what it also means is that the conversation that you're having with the person on your team is about the rating and about the reward. And it's not about how do I make you even more incredible than you are today? And that sort of gets lost in the, you know, the brain the fight or flight mode kicks in. I tell you your rating and you're completely distracted with that. So the next half an hour when I'm talking about all the things that you can do better, you're not really hearing because you're too busy distracted with, well, I thought I should have got a five and I only got a four. Yeah, I was going to say where mm. everybody places themselves, you just the, differently on the bell. Yeah, yeah. They all think they're up at the top a- of the absolutely, bell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you could take that away by, and, and again, we haven't gone there yet, but this is my aspiration. Uh. If you could take that performance rating bit away by actually having that piece attributable to what you do as a team. Mm. So how did we collectively win? Mm -hmm. Then the personal individual element becomes about how do you make me more incredible than I am today? Was I part of the success or the failure of that team? Yes, yes. And how do I better contribute to it? Yes. Because actually what we care about is collective success. Boy, that's not taught in elementary school. It's not. It's not. Don't look at somebody else's paper. Don't collaborate. What was your individual test on the yeah. SATs? Yeah. 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 And it's it's a big it's a big shift, which is why I always had a sports background, and I think mm. those people oh, that have tell, come oh. from you know competitive sport? sports. I was a swimmer, mm. um, ah. but I also played a lot of field hockey, netball, soccer, um, a lot of different things. My dad was a professional soccer player, so we had uh, soccer in our he blood. He wasn't a soccer player. Sorry, he was a football player. Thank but I'm you. Being, I'm being politically. You don't have We're to listen in 42 you know, being countries. Sensitive. Okay, okay. Yeah. okay. He was a footballer. Yeah, Soccer's great. a ridiculous word. He was a footballer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, I love that. We... Um, we have a, a, an affinity for the intersection of sports and business. Uh, my wife has got her MBA from Pepperdine, but she's also uh, NCAA Woman of the Year uh, at University of Hawaii in uh, fast pitch softball. And we're both martial artists and business people, and we wow. see okay. the the, con- the connection. The, oh, very those that's intertidal waters there overlapping mm-hmm. all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I want to go back to teams. Well, well sports is teams, uh, right? <laughs> I mean, so I'm not leaving that. St- staying on. I'm going to stay there. Um, I've also been fascinated with teams uh, as a result of the work that I've been doing for the last 13 years in building communities, um, and specifically in companies helping build communities through software. Uh, there's this, always this need to, to go in and look at that and say, okay, we need to now build a team. How can the software help us find the right people? Because anecdotally, we know this person, that person, the other person. Uh, but if we're in 72 offices, how do we know? We don't, right? And if we're working on global brands, in the case of a WPP company, yep. um, how do we find the right people? And so it's, it's still anecdotal. That's mm-hmm. still who you know, uh, all of that stuff. 
but there were there are two pieces of team stuff that I'm wondering if you've heard about. One is uh, NASA, after the Challenger accident, found that it was a failure of teamwork that caused that. Yes, an O-ring failed, but there the teams were dysfunctional, mm-hmm. uh, and they wrote a book. I mean, they said we're going to go fix that. It's called How NASA Builds Teams. And I would recommend yeah, I haven't read it, that. it's I would it's definitely it's fascinating, yeah. right? Because you you start to think about the role uh, within a team. There are defined roles, as defined by a guy named Belbin uh, in the UK, uh, B E L B I N. Um, you could go study. There's not a lot of work in this, as it turns out. There really is. There's um, there in North Carolina. There's a small teams research group at the university. Uh, they're studying it, and at Wharton, uh, it's all experiential that education. And there's a guy there who I met who builds the teams that you're going to be with while you're there. Um, but it's all done with pieces of paper on the floor, and it's like really, uh, you know, it's just it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. So when so what I'm thinking now is that how you perform on the team has now has a different weighting mm-hmm. in, in your regard. And I think that makes that team meeting a lot more valuable because now I'm like, well, no, I got to I got to show up here. Yeah. Right. I've got to. And, and if it's agile. Right. Which is which is not just for engineers, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, agile is for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would love to see how that goes with you. I mean, yeah. I would think of, of anybody who could take a leadership role in how you change uh, an established behavior. It would be HR in a high growth company. Yes, in in a high growth company whose mission is about unleashing the potential right. of teams. Right. Yeah, so it's <laughs> right. almost the permission right. is there. Right. I mean, even our ticker on Nasdaq is team. So everything really? is deeply, deeply embedded in the the notion of team. And I think also, you know, there's a lot of um, focus around the diversity and inclusion space. And I think oh what a gosh. lot of companies do is they go to, right, we start. We need to start publishing facts and figures. We need to demonstrate that we're taking this seriously. And of course, we do that. We do that as part of being so- socially responsible. Right. But again, we're taking diversity and inclusion and embedding it in the, the notion of team. So actually, all we're trying to get at is that the most... Uh, the most effective teams we believe are the teams that have the most diversity of thought. Mm. And so, so diversity isn't just diversity, gender and race. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, of course, with gender and race comes diversity. Mm-hmm. So if you are a female or you are a certain race or you are a certain age or you've had certain experiences, or you have a certain socioeconomic background, right. you will have a different perspective because right. you come to the world right. with a lens. Yeah. And the more you can bring that diversity to a team, the more um, sort of different levels of perspective and impact that you get, hopefully the more agitation and tension you get, not in a negative way, but in a way that really takes the conversation forward because people are coming at things in a completely different way. Whereas if everybody that's on your team is a Harvard MBA, 
then with the exact same professors, the same the exact professors, same, yeah. similar age, similar socioeconomic it's like having background. A, it's like having a football team of all goalkeepers. Yeah, you exactly. Don't, you don't get scored on very often, but you also don't make any points. Exactly. And that's where I think that we have an opportunity as well to even make that diversity and inclusion space actually come off as less tokenistic because there's a level of tokenism well, that's what that I was comes gonna, yeah, it right, right now. Right. And this is about, no, no, put that to one side. If we're being really thoughtful around the most diverse perspectives deliver the highest impact team, mm. then we need to make sure that we go out and bring people with diverse perspectives. Say that again. So the most diverse... I just that one up there. Was no, that good. was... That okay. was uh, sorry, that my job is to listen oh for those. Okay. The, so the most, most diverse, diverse perspectives... perspectives deliver the most high impact or make the most high impact teams or build them. I don't it's know what I new, said. A whole new chapter. It, yeah. Yeah, if only we were recording I all know. of this. We could just <laughs> go back and write it yeah, down. Yeah. I, um, uh, I, again, it, it feels like diversity and inclusion is, is a hot topic right now in the HR space. Yeah. The, there is an HR space, right? SHRM, yes. right? The Society for Human Resource yep. Management. Doesn't doesn't have the word people in there. It's like human resources, like real estate. I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of how I look at it. And do you feel like the industry is changing? <laughs> no, it's a resource. I believe it's like you. it's, I it's on. It shows up on our P and L, yeah. right? Whereas the intellectual capital and thinking about it, especially as our industries are changing to being around ideas. Mm -hmm. Our IP is is those ideas, not mm -hmm. the thing we make, mm -hmm. right? One would argue it's the software or whatever, but I still believe it's the ideas that we have. Yeah. I think the industry is changing and has to change. I think the challenge is it's always been evolving. It's been more evolutionary versus revolutionary. And I think that as an industry, we have to move a lot quicker because if we're having the desired impact at an organizational level, then we also need to be moving quicker and ahead of where the organization needs to be rather than following and sweeping up behind. Because if, as a company, Atlassian needs to deliver a certain strategy, so again, I'm, I'm coming back to Atlassian because obviously it's very current in my mind. So today, the majority of Atlassian customers tend to be engineers or individuals who are just more technically minded in the R&D world who've really become comfortable with our product set. As we grow as a company, the audience or the, the, the target audience for our products needs to be people more like you and I. We want to target the knowledge worker, which is essentially anybody in an environment that's you know, sharing information days, with each yeah, other, yeah. than the, just the technologist. And so, again, thinking about the impact that the HR function can have on the Atlassian strategy, what are some of the things that we need to be thinking about from a from an organizational and people perspective that allows Atlassian to go after the knowledge worker over the next five years mm -hmm. and extend beyond the boundaries of the technical worker. And so you start to think about, okay, so what does that mean? And it means that first of all, the user experience needs to be a little different. It needs to be simpler. It needs to be um, a lot more intuitive because you've got someone who's less technically sophisticated using the product. It probably needs to be a little prettier because if you're starting to target marketeers and creatives, they're going to look at something that's designed for a technology worker and think, God, this looks awful. And right. the aesthetics right. are really important. Right. Right. And so we've got to start thinking about the types of people that we need to get after that, um, the types of marketing activities that we would need to do to get after that. 
But moreover, which is where it gets really interesting and why this company was particularly important and interesting to me was, how about if we as an HR function could showcase how we leverage our products and how we get the most of the Atlassian suite of products so that we can go out and educate HR audiences around the world as to how they too could use our product set. And so suddenly we get into the realm of being product advocates and out there helping sell the product as well as just internal users of the product. And layer over and above that, any other IP that we can build around how do you drive high functioning teams that sit on top of this platform of technology. And suddenly then the world's your oyster. So we've got some, um, I, I guess just my team is starting to get really excited about we could take this bigger and broader than would typically be within the, the boundaries of the HR function. Are you? It sounds to me like you're having to almost future predict a lot of, as you're saying, what what the company is going to need. Yes. Not you know not just fulfilling what they already exactly. Know, oh, we're just we're, we're down to developers or whatever. You're looking and saying no what, no no. What are the skills that are required for tomorrow's strategy? So you're doing a certain amount of of of, of inside of American football. You would be throwing the ball where the receiver is going yes. to be, not where they're at. Exactly. Does that? put you in conflict with with the executives of, of you trying to say, listen, just trust me here. I've got to give you people you don't have for, for problems you don't have yet that I know you're going to have. Only if you're not in parallel delivering on the needs of today. So, and I say that again, I don't want to, you know, pretend that I've inherited an environment where we just, you know, we're all about the future. We're all perfect because we're also growing at about 35% year over year. Right. So my day-to-day challenge is how do I give you and ensure you have what you need today at the same time as having you think about what you need tomorrow? And so the challenge that I have right now is getting our recruitment capability to a level where we're delivering on the current hiring requirements whilst the HR business partners are having the conversations with their business leaders to say, right, if you need to deliver X three years from now, what are the capabilities that you need and how do we start to plan for that over the course of the next three years? So they can't keep you in the dark. You have to be very, very well versed Absolutely. on where they're headed. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you can't find HR people that care enough about the business and have to, and, and are constantly thinking about the business challenge, then they're not going to be successful in that business partner space. Do you do you think that, that you're, you see a lot of, of other companies struggling with that, where the HR department is only fulfilling what's oh, absolutely. today? Absolutely. And not, yeah. There's a company called CEB who do a lot of research in the HR space, and they will constantly show you through their data each year that the thing that CEOs and leaders struggle most with from their HR teams is not getting teams that are close enough to the business understanding business need and thinking about people agenda and talent strategy in service to addressing business need. On your team, on your HR team, do you have people that understand different, like this group understands engineers or this person is our engineer specialist and so they can then translate? Because there's, right, it seems uh, impossible for you to fully understand every job yeah. At, yeah. A, at, at a place. Yeah, you, you tend to bring in HR partners who have maybe grown up in technology organizations or grown up in marketing teams and who think and have sensibility of how that function operates and acts that's actually very, very different from how an engineering function would. I mean, the, the left brain, right brain, mm -hmm. how you talk to them, how you communicate, 
Um, I always remember in my in my Sonos days having a conversation because we were really grappling with performance management and having a conversation with an engineer around how do you think ratings should be? And it was down to the, could we have, instead of having one, two, three, four, five, could we have a 2.53, you know, like to the second decimal point of <sighs> how accurate yeah. the rating is? contrasted with our head of brand who said I just want to have a conversation with someone that says what should my legacy be and I'm like how do I possibly (laughs) solve a performance management solution that addresses both Both of those needs so that's the other thing you're you're also trying to do this And, and again I think our learning as a function is how do we think more like a chief marketing officer because a chief marketing officer at any one time is selling to multiple eclectic audiences and has right. to speak to those audiences in quite different ways. And we tend to use a one-size-fits-all approach to how we do things, how we communicate. Um, and I think there's a lot for us to learn in thinking about that audience in a slightly different way. Well, there's a certain amount of security in having a formula for every situation. Absolutely. It's a lot easier. A yeah. lot easier. Yeah. But easy doesn't always equal success or profitability, right? Effective, right. What's the smallest company you've ever worked in? Uh, Sonos would have been the smallest. Which was how many people? It was 500 when I arrived, and then we were about 1,400 when I left. Um, And then Atlassian, we're about 2,100 right now. So our, our, I'm thinking of our listeners here. Do you know like 98% of the businesses here in this region are less than five people? Yeah, yeah. What how applicable? They're thinking, oh, my God, how applicable is this to my world? Oh, no, no, no. I'm sitting over here taking notes for my wife, who is, is you know, is a company of five people. And exactly. Because we're always having this discussion about uh, in, you end up hiring, as, as, a, as a small business, you end up hiring yourself. Yes. Because yes. that's what you know best. Yeah. And that's what you feel most comfortable doing. And you're doing attracted to people who are more like you. You know, it's, it's very natural. We like who it? we're like. Less yeah. distance yeah. to go. Uh, but but then simultaneously, because this, you know, she's a landscape architect and we have these conversations where she's like, I was trained as a landscape architect. I was not trained as an HR professional. I was not trained right. Right. as an office manager or somebody who has to deal with. You know, so she's she's always working from her best experience of bonuses or her best experience of whatever, and that always usually comes from the previous companies that she right. worked for. And so she's she's aligning herself with this, like, well, I inherited this knowledge uh, because I don't really know where to go to find it. Mm-hmm. You know, where do mm-hmm. I find an HR specialist who would take a couple hours for a young business? You know, to say, okay, well, you're three years in, and this is where you should be if you want to go somewhere mm-hmm. different. But I think a lot of HR professionals would love to have that phone call from someone Oh, like really? That. Yeah, I'm sure. Because you get so into the day-to-day that, and sometimes when you're in big companies, it can feel hard before you get something that's rewarding because the, the scale of what hard you're doing is, is, yeah. is hard. Yeah. Whereas a two-hour conversation with someone who walks away with incredible insights that's going to help them even Monday morning. Actionable yeah. Like, yeah, things yeah. to change. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really I, I feel a coffee coming over. <laughs> <laughs> I do this all the time. I go home to her and I'm like, you've got to listen to this show. Uh, yeah. This was the one that's really going to like help your, your company this year, I think. Yeah. I also think for small businesses, I think that recognizing whether you are really the right person to hire the right people for your company? And Mm. do you really have really good skills 
for recognizing talent and being really comfortable with yourself if the answer is no mm. and finding someone that can help you with that. How would, uh, stay with that. How, so let's say you, you have that realization and you are quite honest and you're evolved and all of that and you check your ego at the door mm-hmm. and you say, you know, I, I'm not good at this. Mm-hmm. What, what do they do? So there's several, there's a really good book and I want to remember, I'm sure it's called Who? And it's written by a company that spent a lot of time figuring out how do you determine the right people to bring in? Mm. And how do we give you the idiot's guide to the types of questions that you should ask, Uh ruthlessly ask, to stop you falling in love with the person because they are very like you and you have so much in common mm, and you lived mm, in the same city mm. and before you know it, you finish the hour, you really like them, but you have no idea whether they can do the job. Mm-hmm. And some of the that best- That sounds like a trap. It's a massive trap. And it's one that a lot of small companies that I've spoken to say that they fell into because uh, they just really liked the person they spoke to and then they hired them. And so there's some really, really good um, advice in this book around the types of questions that you should ask to really drill and qualify. And it's interesting because the first set of advice that the book gives is to, to when you're sitting opposite someone, to make it feel that they, to, to make them feel wholly accountable for the answer that they're going to give. You talk in a way that says you're going to do this thing. So let me give you an example. So when I call your boss, where you currently work, for, the, the guy that you currently work for right now, when I call him to get references in a month's time because this conversation has got, gone really well, what score would he give you out of 10 and why? And you can see the rabbit in the headlights mm. um, face often because suddenly somebody has to answer that knowing that you're likely to go and validate that score. And then you say, okay, what about the boss that you had before that? On a score of one to 10, what would they give me and why? When I call that person. And you go back chronologically through the, the career and it is incredible the insights that you get from asking that question. Because if someone in a company knows that they had maybe not the most ideal, because the chances are that if they didn't have an ideal relationship with their boss, you're gonna get somebody else given to you as a reference. But you want to know what the boss would say. And so if they were a six out of 10, they're going to tell you they're a six out of 10 because they think you're going to call them. Or at least Uh, there's the moment of uh. you've given them a very clear this is not a hypothetical. This, this is not is, a hypothetical. Yeah. I am actually going to call this person and I'm going, or maybe I, maybe they think, oh, well, I don't think they will, but they have to answer it. Yeah. In and, and a lot of research that went into the book has demonstrated that the success rate of really digging in to any issues or strengths or weaknesses with that type of questioning was just incredible. Hmm. And so it's something that we're adopting um, at Atlassian. Is this a recent book? It's probably six years old, something like you're, this. You're also not saying that, that a my last boss giving me a three causes me not to hire you. Absolutely. It, it's There's simply, a reason. There's right. a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be that that reason actually is so valid and yeah. accurate and appropriate to why you would be great for this role, but you're still, you still want to know why. 
Right. You still want to know. They're going to give me a three because I'm leaving. <laughs> they don't want me to leave. Yeah, or they could give me a three because the role that I came in to do and with the expectations that mm. were set with me coming in weren't actually aligned with the role that I right. had. Right. And as a result, there right. was just a disconnect that's between it. skills. Yeah. Well, that's a really good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've just given away the, uh, the answer the to the question of the three. Question. Yeah. 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 I had opportunity to, to coach a, a, a young millennial yesterday who's struggling a little bit. As opposed to an old millennial? Well, <laughs> I, I was going to say young person and I said millennial and, and, yeah. and all of that's wrong. I had a conversation with someone who's just out of school yeah. trying to figure out what he wants to do. And I said, you know, and someone thought I could be a good, I'm not a career coach, but I like asking questions. That's my job. And hey, what do you want to do? I want to be in business. Okay, that's suitably vague that you're never going to get a job. Like, what part of business? What do you? And then he wouldn't look at me. What? Wouldn't look me in the eye. Oh, that's a and I said, you're never going to get a job. Yeah. You have to show up with certainty. And like, I don't care if you're young and you've not done anything before. You have a sense of self. You're on a path. You've got a mission. So I was coaching around those things. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I'm really interested in... Um, in, in the questions we ask, right? And the style of questions. I hope you uh, told him to meet you at Improv on Wednesday night. Uh, I it's, it actually yeah. found out that he had a sports background oh, and that he needed to get out of his head and in his body. Mm -hmm. And that um, what I suggested to him, because th then we started to get someplace. It, you could tell, you know, I said, the next interview you have I want you to suggest to the hiring manager, whoever it is you're talking to, that you do best on a walk and talk. And to, let's get out of the office and out of the cube and let's just go take a walk. Now, I don't know if you were sitting interviewing someone and they said, you know, Helen, I would be more comfortable, if you don't mind, if we could just take a walk and would mm -hmm. that be okay? Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say? I would love if someone had the gumption to do that. Okay, wow. good. I would I'm going to make him listen to the show. Yeah, because the fact is that they start off the interview by taking control. And that tells you that this is someone who has courage and initiative. So that hmm. wouldn't be a bad thing if someone did that. So now, even if you said no, because you could Even if I right, said no. And, and frankly, I would probably say yes because I would be so thrilled to be also out of the office right no of course as right well, as would anybody else who'd spent the day interviewing or in meetings by the way so huh. I think it's probably something we should encourage more people to do well I, I there was a TED talk on I'm a TEDster so I influenced a lot by that and uh, she only does walk and talks so if you want a meeting with her it's not going to be in the office mm -hmm. it's and it, her talk has gone on to do very very well and and that's her her MO is doing that. So I'm, I'm again, interested in questions. What is your, um, your favorite icebreaker question, if you will? For who? For, for, for her? The, or the when, for the interviewer. You're sitting, I'm going to guess that you don't interview everybody, but there's a certain caliber director and up that, yeah. that you get. What's the, you know, that secret question? Like what question I had that I learned was this guy's question was, what have I not asked you? That was his favorite question. Mm -hmm. So do you have a favorite question? Uh, answering the icebreaker one, because I, I, I quite like the idea of, of breaking the ice, but breaking the ice in a way that has someone tell you in a very authentic way where their head's currently at. Mm. Because either they've got other 
interviews that they're having. They could be blissfully happy where they are because you've headhunted them. They could be desperate to get away from where they are. So I always start with, okay, so last night, knowing you were coming to the interview today, you were sitting having a glass of wine with your best friend at the bar, and you were saying about this interview that you've got tomorrow. What did you say? Hmm. Because it, I want to try and put them on a, you're out of your professional environment yeah. you're with a friend and you're speaking very openly about what's going to be happening tomorrow and start from that place to understand what's your interest level how do you feel about this how much research have you done about this because it really helps you ground in okay so what's our starting point boy and that's not a that's not there's that i love the questions that don't have wrong answers yeah like, there's, there's the, not a, a wrong answer right. and it's amazing how open some people are you know, well, I had a, if I was having a glass of wine, then frankly, I've got a couple of things on the go. This was low on the list, but I thought I'd better show up. Like, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because now we know we've got to be in sell mode before we start buying. Um, so then it also helps you figure out where do I sit on the spectrum of massively interested or vaguely interested. So wh- how much am I doing buy and how much am I doing sell? I... It, I love that. As the hiring manager, the notion, how much am I selling this job and how much am I buying this person? I've yes. never heard someone say that before. I love that. Uh, on the last, um, two more things. Okay. Um, I'm, I, I can, uh, this is a favorite topic. Um, we were trained by a guy named Chet Holmes in hired, how to hire salespeople. Mm-hmm. It was his thing was around the sales part of your organization. And he tells a story of how this person has come in, has gone through all the interviews. Everybody loves this person and they're perfect for the job. So it's not just the love, they're gonna be great. And now the final interview is with the boss, that's you. They're sitting there, you can look over the person's shoulder and see the whole team metaphorically is standing there going, I hope this goes well because we really want this guy, right? And you, you know, you're feigning looking at the paper and looking at the guy and looking at the paper. And then what he would do is he would just look up and goes, everybody loves you. And this looks, just, I can't believe you're even here. And he takes a breath and he'd say, I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> so they have to get selling. And it's he taught us as that was mm-hmm. an ego strength test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, nine times out of ten, the person would go, well, you would know. You're the boss. Gosh, sorry. God, I, I thought it was going good. And they get up and leave. Nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. Where in a sales role, you need strong ego strength. He needs to say, and he said the person who would get the hired would be, have you not been listening to me for the last 20 minutes? No, I'm, I'm the guy. And I'm trying to communicate that to people and how do you answer that and how do you have ego strength without being uh, 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 too much swagger? Mm-hmm. Like how do you have, mm-hmm. I think of it as certainty instead of swagger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I wanna close the question part because I'm, I'm, I, I love questions, I collect questions. Just recently, Atlassian announced the purchase of Trello. We did. Mm. And I've been using Trello forever. I'm one of the fantastic. faithful that's Trello people. Wait, wait, is this one of those insider like questions that's really just you like lodging a complaint? 
Not at all. Okay, good. Not at all. It's, I'm going to go someplace completely different. Uh, I, I Trello every single morning to plan my day because I'm in, I have lots of lines of effort of things I'm interested in right. and I can't keep track of it. And I use Trello with all of my teams, all of my clients. Mm -hmm. That's how we work. Mm -hmm. I'm specifically interested in how you are going to deal with the acquisition of talent and what do you do with merging employee populations, which goes back to the original thing you said, which is about corporate culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a fantastic question and so top of mind because I took a flight to Phoenix on Sunday to be there at 7 a.m. because Trello were getting their annual get together, all 100 employees in a beautiful hotel in Scottsdale, thinking they were turning up for just their um, oh. annual meeting. Oh. And so we had one of our founders, Mike Cannon-Brooks. Um, we had myself, my peers across the executive team and the deal team. And so 7 a.m., they all arrived for breakfast expecting their CEO, the Michael annual. Pryor, just to kick off the meeting. And he said, so I have a slightly a different news. news. Um, and announced to them that we're being acquired and we're being acquired by, I get goosebumps actually thinking about it because it was so brilliantly done. Um, we've been acquired by Atlassian. And so we spent Monday and Tuesday, um, we still tried to have them enjoy their two day offsite, but as you can imagine, it was a pretty significant distraction. Shockwave. Um, and so um, I got up, we, Mike Cannon-Brooks got up and um, gave a five minute speech. I got up following Mike and said, this is how much we care about people. Um, and then we spent the over the course of the next two days with breakout sessions, doing Q and A's, and just trying to get the trellists, they call themselves trellis, uh. comfortable with thinking that this big corporate thing, which is probably where your initial reaction is, um, how, are we going, how is this gonna work? And their biggest concern was culture. Sure. And the, the Trello culture is really, really strong. And they have, interestingly, a very strong remote working culture. So about 64% of their employees uh, work, work from home. And they've found that embracing the notion of, re of remote working has been really, really successful for them. Contrast that with Atlassian. The Atlassian culture is based on creating these really compelling workspaces. So if you went to our Sydney office or our Austin office or our San Francisco Mountain View offices, the, the office environment is really fantastic. Lots of collaboration spaces, lots of high ceilings, a lot of thought put into how do we create physical environments that, that get the best out of teams. And so straight away you have a pretty contentious um, element of our two cultures coming mm -hmm. together. Despite the fact that from a behavioral standpoint, there's a lot of similarities, this was gonna be a big concern for them. And of course, we took that off the table immediately because we said, look, we know you've got a really strong remote working culture. We are fascinated to learn more about that um, because that's not what we have. Um, so we're not gonna break it, we're not gonna change it. We really want to see how it, it works and learn from it. Are we missing something here? Yeah. Because we believe yeah. that this work physical experience That's, is a Helen, way of doing That is not the way corporations do business. What are it, you talking not about? Not used to be, but I picked a, I picked a winning company to yeah. work for, believe me. Yeah. I mean, to be part of an acquisition team where I know right. with 
all faith I can say that and somebody's not going to come and, you know, take my legs off right. is just so rewarding. So all you right. tricked them into coming in, and then, but you'll, uh, you'll, you'll change it later, we right? We definitely right. won't. We definitely won't. I've been trying to decide if I want to tell you this, but I, w- I will. Oh, God. Uh, I was involved in a, a merger <laughs> acquisition. We tried to spin that any way you could, but we, we were acquired. Um, and uh, though it was supposed to be this marriage of equals and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave the names out of it, but our smart listener can Google this and figure it out pretty quickly. And our team in Santa Barbara went to this other city, I'll leave that out, uh, for that meeting of now we're going to the blending of the tribes, right? And we got there late, 15 minutes after the CEO had started the talk. And the image he had on the back that was amplifying the merger was two camels having sex. What? Oh my God. That's horrific. With one on top of the other. Oh my God. And I walked in and he said, hey, well, Mark is here and the team from Santa Barbara and let's give him a big welcome. And I went, I was, I was shocked. And I said, that's how this is being portrayed? Right, I'm and absolutely speechless. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. Right, so so now that was uh, 2001. So you know, almost 20 years ago now. But it still feels modern. We're modern yeah, software yeah. companies, and that colored everything for me. Yeah. Uh, from yeah. that point, it's like, oh, hold it. How do we collaborate in this kind of environment? Yeah. Right. So yeah. I'm so thrilled to hear. That it's it's evolved. It's evolving. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, oh no. It's oh my definitely, gosh. Definitely and it's evolved. such a cha- it's a it's such a challenge for companies, especially where the growth path for a lot of businesses is by acquisition. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go mm-hmm. and buy these other technologies. Right. And so that thought of how do we blend cultures? How do we become this? You know, not a stew, but how do we? not, you know, is it, do I not lose the acquiring company culture? Do I not lose the acquirer's culture? Because you bought them for their people. You I mean, did. you bought them for the culture. That that thing that made that 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 IP or brain is a result mm-hmm. of people, mm-hmm. and which is a, a much bigger conversation where at end of time, <laughs> and I, I, I hope we get to, t- I want to talk to you again about this, because mm-hmm. this, all of this is so fascinating. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I've loved it. Thank oh. you very much for inviting now, me. Now, one of the things we, we do on the show is we um, we try to wrap a bow around it and give it a title. Okay. And so so if someone were coming to this, and there's a whole long list of these, uh, and it's just the title, and they don't know who you are, but the, the topic was, this was truly fascinating. What would we call this conversation? Well, we navigated all over the place. We did, we really? as typical. But I wonder if at the heart of it was this notion of team. Because whether you, you know, the the diversity piece, the high potential piece, the performance management piece, the hiring piece, you're ultimately trying to build the high impact team, the ultimate team. So even though we meandered, I wonder if that really feels like it's at the heart of it. Because again, even the acquisition of Trello Sure. We did so much due diligence around making sure that those people fit so beautifully into our environment, which is what doesn't usually happen when you're doing deals, that I think ultimately Trello has just augmented and amplified our team rather than just like bolted onto the side of it. And having spent time with those people, 
in in Scottsdale. I mean, just an incredible group of people. So and now they're your people. And, well, we've got a couple of weeks just to go yeah. through the whole legal piece, but um, yeah, I can't see there's any reason why we won't close in the next. 15 days also. Congratulations yeah. on that. Trellists. I love Trellists. I love how well you you can also tell when there is a corporate culture when there's a name. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right when exactly. we ident- we self-identify as Yeah, cuz we're Atlassians and so now they're like are we Trellists or Atlassians or Trellists Atlassians? Yes. yes, you're both. You're yeah, both. you're both, right? <laughs> we tried to come up with a new name for that company and we couldn't and we ended up keeping our maiden names. Uh, right. It was it's challenging. All of that's challenging. People are challenging. I love them. Uh, and we can't do anything without them. We have to build teams to run our TEDx Santa Barbara. And there's as much work spent on that team as there is on the what's on the stage. So mm-hmm. thank you for helping us understand that uh, so pleasure. much more. Um, we can find out more about you at Atlassian dot com and uh, I was able to Google all of that pretty quickly. Thrilled that you worked at a WPP company too. I know, I know. And it's interesting, did you find on the Atlassian.com when you click on the leaders, we all have bobbleheads? (laughs) So we all have bobblehead characters and you have to click through our bobblehead to see our photo. Even that's pretty cool. When I was looking at Atlassian, I was like, I will get to be a bobblehead. That's one. pretty <laughs> yeah, it's aspirationally. Pretty it really is aspirational. So that's our T-shirt for the show. I will get to be a bobblehead one day. Yeah, we're always looking for snappy T-shirts yeah. that we'll never make. <laughs> uh, someday I, those are going to arrive in a box. Yeah, just a box of T-shirts. So look at that. I also want to, um, in addition to thanking Helen, thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pullstream Press. If you're interested in partnering with our podcast, send us a note, partner at 805connect.com. Patrick, someone who's uh, maybe not an HR professional, but they've listened to the show. I, come on, we're all HR professionals on some level. Right? That's There you yeah. go. That's it. Uh, if you work at a company, it's your job. Anyway, um, I, I, you know, go look through our back catalog. We have literally hundreds of shows uh, that are worth listening to uh, with all sorts of different information that might be off topic for you, but suddenly it becomes on topic. Rate, rate, review. Let us know what we're doing right. Uh, Let us know which guests uh, provided you with new information that you wanted to hear more about. And uh, maybe we'll bring those people back. Um, uh, and perhaps here's here's my other suggestion based on on this conversation. If you are in HR, uh, think about uh, reaching back out to one of those smaller companies that don't have access to an yeah. HR professional, yeah. and and uh, and lend your services just for a couple hours. I bet they buy you lunch. I bet they do. Uh, I would love to hear from you with questions, or if you've got an idea for a guest. That's Helen. That's how Helen got here. Was an idea uh, from one of our other guests, and um, I'm so thankful for those. If you have an idea, drop me a line at mark at 805connect.com. And thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, all of the emails that I get. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.